The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Mark 12, verse 13 says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. We've been studying this. This is the last week. Jesus is literally headed to the cross. This is Passion Week. And right now he's in this season where he's being quizzed. He's being vetted in a certain sense. But not by people that are, it's not like a job interview where we say, let's see if this guy's really God. And if he is, we're going to recognize him as such. This is, we're looking for a weakness so that we can trap him. And we can tell right off the bat because the Pharisees and the Herodians are hanging out. And the Pharisees and the Herodians hate each other. And nothing will unite people like a common enemy does. If you've ever heard the story of the 1980 Olympic hockey team, you guys know that story? Um, What's the guy's name? Does anybody know the coach's name? It's like Brooks something or something Brooks. Anybody know? Herb Brooks. That's what it is, right? So Herb Brooks was the coach of the the U.S. Olympic uh, hockey team. They were just a bunch of college kids. They had no shot. They didn't even have any business playing against the teams that they were playing. It was like playing the NHL all-star team, these guys. And he was looking for a way to unify his team. And he couldn't get it to happen. And he decided, I'm just going to be a jerk. And he, he said, I'm going to run these guys into the ground. I am going to be the enemy that they rally against. And he did. And he found that these guys who were from all over the place and had all these different stories unified because of a common, well, at the beginning, enemy until they realized what he was doing for them. Well, in this particular case, this is what's going on. The Herodians are those who are loyal to Herod, and, and they, want, they, they like Herod even over the Roman army. They love that he's there. They're loyal to this king. The Pharisees, who hate the fact that Herod is involved, I mean, Herod's an Idumean. He's a descendant of Esau. So what place does a guy like that have being in charge of Israel, the house of, and the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And so there's this battle between the two of them, but Jesus is a threat to both. He's a political threat because of the things he's teaching, and he's obviously a religious threat to the Pharisees. So they unite in this, and they come together to trap him. Verse 14, they say, Teacher, we know that you are true, and do not care about anyone's opinion. This is buttered up talk, by the way. You know that, right? This is when your kids come up and they go, Dad, you're such a good dad. And you like, no. They're asking for something soon. That's what's going on here. Teacher, we know that you are true, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So he's looking to trap them. This is what they're after. If he says, no, we should not pay taxes. Caesar has no business ruling down here. Then the Herodians and their alliances to Rome can go running straight to Caesar. This is treason. We're going to get Pilate involved, and he's in trouble. But if he says, yeah, we should pay taxes. Rome's in charge, and that's the authority that's here. We should pay taxes to them. Well, then he knows that the, the, the Pharisees are going to be able to come to the people of Israel who hate the fact that they're under this taxation burden. Remember, like some of the worst people in the entire land are the tax collectors there. So for Jesus to advocate that we should continue to pay taxes, not okay with the Pharisees. So he's in, he's, it's only this way or it's only this way, and either one he's toast. But unfortunately for them, and fortunately for us, a lot of times that's the way we see things. The answer is either A or B when God has C over here the whole time. We think it's this or this, and we don't like either option, and God's like, what's well, a good thing? I'm in control. 
And so, Jesus answers them. Verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Now the coin, many of you know this, the coin, the denarius that he asked for, it's specific. He didn't just say, does anybody have some money? He asked for a denarius because the denarius was the form of payment that the Jews were required to use when they paid their tax. It was a specific kind. You couldn't go use Jewish money, if you will. They had to change that stuff in and use a denarius to pay. So he's asking for a piece that would be used to pay taxes. And he holds it up and he says, whose face is on this? Many of you know this also. On the denarius, there are inscriptions. Just like ours, we have our founding fathers on our, on our coins. And we have mottos, e pluribus unum, or in God we trust is on our money. Well, the same thing holds true for this. There's a picture on it of Caesar. And then inscriptions on both sides. On one side, it says this, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Think about that. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the, huge word here, divine Augustus. This is a claim to deity. They believe Caesar is God. And so they're saying, the divine Augustus begot a son, and his son is Tiberius Caesar Augustus. This is almost even what we would almost look at as a messianic type claim, but though it's clearly not in in conjunction with the Hebrew scriptures. It is a claim for divinity. On the other side of the coin, it said Pontificus Maximus, which is another claim to deity and to all power. So this coin has an image of Caesar and labeled on it are inscriptions that claim deity, that claim Godship that claim worldwide authority. So Jesus holds this up. Whose inscription, whose likeness is this? And they say it's Caesar's. And so Jesus says to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. This is still widely considered to be one of the most powerful single political statements that has ever been made in the history of the world. And it's a bummer because it punches politics in the nose. And sometimes we even as Christians don't fully get it. So here's what he says. Whose face is on this coin? It's the image of Caesar. It's got his name on it, both sides. It's got his claims to ownership. And you should also understand, in that culture at the time, Caesar was said to own all money. Now, you, you have money, but at any time, Caesar could claim it because you are holding, as a representation of your income, something that actually belongs to Caesar. So everyone believed that, okay, it's my money, but really it's Caesar's money that we've been entrusted for this trade thing that we do here. And so he says, okay, Caesar's on it? Well, then it's his. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And in that, Jesus does make a very significant political statement here. There, there's some absolute truth and, and um, uh, importance here that he makes with regards to how he feels about politics, how he feels about government, and how we should approach some of this. So, for example, it does validify, if you will, it does um, make valid the claims of human government. He says, look, they have taxes. This belongs to Caesar. You need to pay these taxes. That's what he says. And this falls right in line with scriptures elsewhere. Romans 13, for example. Paul says this in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good, judge, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. So Paul, Jesus, elsewhere in scriptures, we are encouraged to, to under, first of all, to understand that just government in general and the ruling authorities that we have have been created by and given to us by God. Might be really important for us to remember right now because very few of us most likely would say that we are encouraged by the direction that our national government is going right now. And what has happened now, especially with the advent in the last 30 years of things like uh, talk radio, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, is that everyone has a voice, and, and sometimes I think, my own opinion here, but to an unhealthy degree, we can focus on some of these things. And so what ends up happening is, is we have opinions about our government, and if it's not the side that we are on, or if it's not the government we elected, or if we don't approve of what it is that we're doing, we will happily and readily throw them under the bus, mock them, belittle them, make funny pictures about them, tease them, all of those sorts of things. But before we do that, it would behoove us to stop and remember that the powers that be are ordained by God. And that throughout Scripture, it says, well, even in line with this, you're to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And some of what is owed to our government and to the leaders that God has allowed to be in charge over us is respect. It doesn't mean we agree with everything that they're doing. But we should respect and honor all men as Christians, should we not? It's so easy, and I want to so bad sometimes to go, not that guy. I hired him, I'm paying him to do this job, and he is trashing our nation, or whatever the case may be. And in case you're a Democrat in here, I don't mean that, I'm talking broad here. I'm not typically a very political guy, so this is not an anti-Obama statement, just for the record. But we owe a certain degree of respect to all mankind, if for no other reason than they are created in the image of God. We'll get to that in a minute. But we as Christians, more than anyone, should respect. Now, does that mean we follow everything? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We should absolutely rebel against government that causes us to break one of God's commandments, that encourages us to move in an immoral or an unethical way. Um, or even in ways that would just cause us to, to bump up against the conscience that the Holy Spirit has built within us. So things like uh, giving money so that our government performs abortions. Am I performing the abortion? No. But I'm somehow participating, and that's something that we as Christians should not be okay with. Um, or or it, it's the difference between actually being a doctor who performs abortions or working in a clinic where those things actually get done as a receptionist. That there's still a moral and a conscience challenge there that should be a problem for us. And so when those things come up, we should say something about it. The scriptures also encourage us to participate in government and to participate in our nation, to pray for our leaders. Timothy tells us that, that the peace that we have, he says this in, in uh, first. Second, First Timothy 2, he says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, and for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior. 
So when we pray for our leaders and those that are in charge over us, that is pleasing to our Savior to see our hearts responding to our government in that way. And so I'm not throwing Fox News under the bus. I'm not throwing MSNBC under the bus or anything in between those two. Those two seem to be the polar ends, right? So anything in between those two under the bus. I'm not saying we shouldn't have political opinions, that we shouldn't support candidates, that we believe uh, honor the values that we have. We absolutely should. But whoever's there, we should understand that God has ordained. He's the sovereign king over everything. The scripture says he turns the hearts of kings like channeling water through rivers. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And we should act with respect towards those who are there. You can disrespect with, disre- or disagree with someone respectfully. But at the same time, however, there are limits to what is owed to our government. There are limits to what is owned to Caesar. And so Jesus goes on. He says, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. And this is huge. This is the part where it's still a major punch in the nose for government, especially this particular government. Because what does tend to happen in government, and this is one of the things that we struggle with when we see governments do what they do, is with power tends to come pride, agendas, selfishness, and all the other sorts of things, as well as power complexes in leaders that can make them feel and or behave as if they were gods, right? Do what they want, don't have to answer to constituents, they're in control. We've seen this throughout the history of the world over and over in every single form of government, be it monarchies, be it dictatorships, and be it republic uh, uh, democracies that we're in right now. We've seen this before. And when he says, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but give unto God's that which is God's, he places major boundaries on governments and makes it very clear, oh, they get what's theirs, but no one has the right to divine ownership the way God does. No one. No one owns divine loyalties the way God does. And this is exemplified because he's the one who pointed out whose image is on this coin? Caesar's, then give it to him. But let me ask Whose image are we in? Whose image have we been created in? We've been created in the image of God. So give unto God that which is God's. And by the way, this is not like, man, we figured this out now. This would have been blatantly obvious to the Jewish people what he was saying right here. Take this image because it's Caesar's and give it to his. But what images belong to God? Every single one of us. And and as Christians now, as those who understand what Jesus did for us and as those who have been filled now with the Holy Spirit of God, it's only more so because then you can go on from there and you read the New Testament passages that says, not only are we created in the image of God, but we've also been sealed with his spirit. So in the same way that they would engrave a coin to put that image on it, somehow God has sealed you with his spirit. And then it tells us in 2 Corinthians that, that the spirit itself is molding us into what? The image of Christ. It's the whole our whole series is based really off that verse, even though we're in Mark. As we behold him, we become like him. So there's very clear dividing lines here. We should respect authority. We should stand against authority that stands against God. We disagree civilly and respectfully in every other situation. But our loyalties are not divided. Our loyalties are absolutely clear. Before we are Christians, I mean, excuse me, before we are Americans or Oregonians or Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or whatever it is, above all of those things, we are Christians. 
and we are members of the kingdom of God. And we need to keep that in mind. And that has two major implications that we need to be aware of, and I'm going to do them in less than three minutes. The first one is this. On one hand, you need to know this. You belong to God, not you. You belong to God, not you. I don't care what our world is telling us. I don't care what our nation tells us about individual liberties. As believers in Christ, our liberties only go so far as they do not interfere with the liberties or the the restrictions, if you will, that God has put on us. We are loyal to God before we are loyal to self. Amen? And so for some of us, that should be, oof. You know what I mean? When, when we, we choose to elevate ourselves to the throne and say, well, no, I'm going to take care of me first. And, and I'll, I'll spend all my money on me and I'll spend all my efforts on me and I'll spend all my energy on me and I'll spend all my time on me and all this kind of stuff. And once in a while, if I get the time, I'll work God in. No. We are subjects to the king of kings. Our body is not our own, Paul says. We don't own our bodies. We have been gifted life by Jesus Christ. And we are made in the very image of God. And from time to time, it is worth being reminded that you don't own you. And even that whole argument, well, it's not hurting anyone else. You don't get to decide that. Well, I can do this. It won't bother anybody. No, no, no. You belong to God in every way. And then the scriptures say, that's why the scriptures say, in everything that we do, we are to glorify God in all that we do. So for some of us, when we hear that you don't belong to God, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God, that can be a very like, man, that I got some work to do. I, I, I'm off track here. And maybe I need to reroute, maybe I need to recenter, maybe I need to come back to this understanding and knock all this garbage off, repent from my sins, and redirect and refocus and start living for the king that I'm supposed to be living for. But the other implication is this. Not only is it true that you do not belong to God, you belong to you. Excuse me, no, hold on. That sounded like Joel Osteen for a second, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> No emails, please. I know. I know. Um, not only do you not belong to yourself, but you belong to God. But here's the second imp- implication. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. I mean, think about that for a second. You belong to God. Isn't that amazing? Like, he wants you. He desires you. He puts up with you. He died for you. At the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, he bought you. We don't belong to some wicked dictator that'll just use us for his own glory, for his own stuff, and then discard us at the end of the day. We belong to a gracious and loving God who went as far as you could possibly go to secure safety for us to secure prosperity for us. <gasps> he said, wait, wait, Jeff, you can't make fun of Joel Osteen and say he's here for our prosperity. I'm saying eternally, heaven's gonna be pretty prosperous, amen? amen? The problem with the prosperity gospel people, they want it too soon. And they worship that often over the God that gives it to us. We wanna worship God, the giver of gifts, not the gifts that come from the giver, understand? But heaven's gonna be pretty prosperous 
I was sealing my driveway the other day because the concrete keeps breaking down, and I'm, I know how expensive concrete is, and I'm like, you've got to last because we'll end up with a gravel driveway. <laughs> but pavement in heaven is gold. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty impressive. But he, he's our God, and he's our Father, and we belong to him. And so there's comfort in that. All that giant list of stuff that we just prayed through, and by the way, I added like 10 more, even as we were praying, that were coming to my mind as we were standing here. All those people belong to God. And he promises, I know what you're dealing with. I know what your needs are. I know what's best for you. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I will meet your needs. I will not withhold any good thing from you. I will comfort you. I will be near you when you're alone. I will be with you in your heartache. I count and collect your tears, he says. You belong, not to a king in general, but to the king, and he is good, and he loves you, and he's coming soon. Amen? Will you stand and let's pray? Here's your memory verse for the week. This is a memory verse that I never hear mentioned as a memory verse, but man, we should know this verse. And don't judge me, I am going to read it because I don't have it memorized. But it's one of those books we never go to. Zephaniah, there is such a thing. Some of you are like, what? Zephaniah 317. Anyone know it? Oh, there's a couple of hands that went up. I'm impressed. One of them's on staff. Awesome. <laughs> it says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. You know what that means? It means God kind of likes you, and he loves you, and he sings. We sing songs to him, but he sings songs over us because in his heart he delights in his children. And he mourns with those who mourn. He weeps with those who weep. But he also does it a little differently because he knows what's going to happen when we come out the other side of that. And even when we're in the middle of the forest, we can't see it for the trees. He knows, I am leading you to goodness you cannot possibly imagine. And he is incredibly good. Amen? Zephaniah 317. Repeat after me. The Lord your God is in your midst. No, 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 no. Like you just found this out. And you, you thought you were dead in the woods and no one's going to get you out. And the rescue team just came around the corner. And you, like you thought you were dead. And here they come and they've got pizza. Okay, repeat after me. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Jesus, we're so thankful for that truth. Thank you for this reminder that we belong to you, that we are created in your image. Lord, I know that you will not leave us to despair. Lord, I pray for all, again, all those things we prayed for, and there's so many more we forgot. There's pain and difficulty in this room I don't even know about yet. And I pray, God, that you would show yourself strong, that in, your, in their weakness, your grace would be magnified, 
and you would comfort your people. And Lord, we pray you would come soon. But more than anything, we're just thankful that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. I love you guys. I love you guys. Have a great week. Keep looking to Jesus. Amen. amen. We'll see you Sunday.